This is Blue 42. We're going to go red, right, tight, close, sprint, left, G, U, corner, half back, flat, on two, ready, right. Now here's your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Blue 42! Blue 42! Brock, have you been watching Hard Knocks? You know what? I have it on the old DVR for tonight when I get back. How, how was episode one? It was pretty Meh. solid. I think it was Meh. solid compared to seasons past, Danny. I don't think it was terrible like we have seen in the case of the Rams and the Chargers. That was boring. I think with the Raiders it was a little bit. There was something I saw, Brock, that I, I wanted to pick your brain on because I feel like you often see coaches do what Mike McCarthy did. Mike McCarthy decided that he was going to show a clip from Austin Powers, uh, <laughs> and he decided to turn it into some sort of theme that he wanted the Cowboys to enact in the midst of practice called Mojo Moments. What's the corniest thing that an NFL coach tried on you and your teammates where it felt like he believed he really had something, but everyone was looking at each other in the room with raised eyebrows? <laughs> Oh, gosh, that's pretty funny. Yeah, the, I think that because of technology today and the ease of so much, you know, of that material there to be made, and, and so many of these staffs are so huge, Paul, that you've got, you know, lots of personnel that, that, that work those angles. I mean, in my day, uh, honestly, Tony Dungy sat up and, and had a old-school projector like his mom and dad teachers did with the, with the plastic slides. And he would be overlays and, and some of the audience doesn't even know what I'm talking about right now, but, but he would put those up and he would write on them. Uh, that was the, that was the level of technology. I don't think there was one movie clip. I don't think there was any of that while I was there. And, uh, and Holmgren probably wasn't real big on that either. Um, so I, I don't think I had that experience, but as you said that, I do remember Jim Zorin telling me about one of the coaches that he coached for in college, one of the head coaches who said, Hey, listen, I'm going to get really upset at practice today. I'm going to have these, uh, the equipment guys set up a bunch of pads in boxes. And I'm going to tell you, like, I don't like the energy of our team. And I'm going to go over there, and I'm going to kick all the boxes and kick all the pads. And I'm going to make a huge scene. And I just want to give you guys a heads up that I've got this all orchestrated and, and, and preordained. And the coaches were like, oh, I don't know about that, but okay. And it was just a fail. I mean, just an epic, epic fail. Because I think players can feel when it's not organic or disingenuous. I would say, in talking to a lot of the guys that have been in that locker room for years with Pete Carroll, I think a lot of the work that he does and the, and the movie clips and the fun and the videos that he has, I think keeps that place pretty alive. So, uh, that, unfortunately, Paul, this is one of my old guy. I'm an old guy, and 20 years ago, coaches were old You're, school, and we didn't do and have fun in meetings. We got yelled at, and, and we had to look at plastic overlays. So, a little different era than the one that I played in. You're probably better off for it, though. Though That Jim Zorn story sounds a lot <laughs> like the uh, bizarro uh, Ted Lasso led Tasso, the first question I have for you, Brock, has to do with Russell Wilson's court. It does feel like they are pressing on the Seahawks' toes again. And I would point to that story about how Russ would be willing to take a restructure for Jamal Adams or Dwayne Brown contracts. When you see that, yeah, okay, that sounds like he is being selfless, but the Seahawks don't really need to ask him for that. They also probably don't need to restructure Russell Wilson's contract for extensions with either of them. 
How right. peaceful really is this peace in our time that we thought we may have reached this off season? Yeah, I think it's I think it's rather peaceful, Paul. I, I, I do. I, I think these are some of the you know some of the PR plays that the team plays. You know, they've got a whole staff and, and a department that works to make sure in, in their communications that they protect their players and their coaches. And and Russell has a huge marketing team and agent and everybody else that wants to make sure they're protecting his brand and his curating and everything else. And I think this is just kind of the, the interplay between elite franchise quarterbacks at this level and and the team that surrounds him, as you said, the camp and court that surrounds him. And, you know, the, the way the team goes about doing that when, when they want to protect themselves and their players or their coaches as well. So I don't think it's anything outside the realm of normal. Uh, I don't think it's terribly unhealthy. I think you're right. I saw your tweet about that, Paul. I, I don't think the team needs to do that. They've got plenty of cap space. And frankly, you know, I don't know why Russ in some ways would want to as well because, you know, it could make it harder for him if, you know, after this season he wants to, to reevaluate things as well and, and not have a bunch of dead money locked up in the salary cap for the Seahawks to have to deal with long term as well. The whole thing is weird, right? It feels like that's being thrown into a situation where it doesn't belong, right? Like that, there's a yeah. way that Seattle handles its payroll. It feels like that is an attempt to put some pressure on the team or make them look bad of like, hey, we're all trying to do the right thing here. And it's, I don't know. I, I felt it was kind of posturing. You think there was an eye roll upstairs with Matt Thomas and John Schneider? Uh, yeah. And that, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I, so too. Like, come on. <laughs> what are we, what are we doing? We don't, need, we don't need it. We don't need your money. We don't need the cap space. We can create it other ways. We've got enough, actually, as it is, to, to do the deals if we want to do them. Now it's incumbent upon, uh, you know, Jamal really first and foremost to, to sign the dotted line. All right, question two. We started the show with this. Which contract is more important for Seattle to get done, Jamal or Dwayne? Oh, I, I think it's Jamal. Yeah. Because I think once you get Jamal done, that, you know, as we've talked about, that gives you then the opportunity to lay out the rest of the game plan. You know, on Wednesdays, we had base offense and defense. And that, that kind of gives you, this is during the normal week in the NFL, that, you know, Monday you come in, you, you watch the tape, you condition a little bit, Tuesday's an off day. But the coaches spend all day Tuesday putting together their base plan, all their first down and second down. And that's what, to me, Jamal Adams is an analogy is. Like, this is the bulk of our work week, man. This is first and second down. This is the majority of the snaps. Now, it's not third down or nickel or red zone or short yardage or all the rest of the work we're going to get done uh, in two minutes, Thursday and Friday. But Jamal feels like just, okay, this is just base foundational stuff. We love him. We love his juice. We love everything he brings. You know, he is very like-minded with the head coach. Uh, they see the world. They compete in the world the same exact way. This is a young foundational piece that we have got to lock in. So I, I think that's priority, Danny, and it's a and it's a much bigger chunk. You know, it's it's got a lot a lot of zeros. It's, it's got some heavy percentage of the cap. It's going to eat up. But once first and second down are done, then that gives you an opportunity to start to tackle you know tackle red zone and third down and and the other areas that you need to win. There's more potential for regret though with the Jamal Adams contract too, right? With how long it is, with the injuries that he dealt with last year with the fact that maybe he's not as impactful in pass coverage as you would like to see Paul's him. Paul's trying to trick you here, Brock. He's trying to trick you. I mean, I'm not yeah, trying to trick anyone. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm asking you. Yeah, I saw, 
See, Paul, I do my work, man. I read Danny's article. I, I saw Danny's piece, 710 Sports, that, that talked about these contracts actually for players at the stage of the career with Dwayne Brown, be it Cam, you know, be it Marshawn, be it some of the older players that you give contracts to that, you know, I mean, Jamal is still 26 years old. You know, he's not 30 yet. This is the absolute prime physically of his career. Do you have concerns about his body? Yes. Does he? Absolutely. And that's why he wants to get some of that, you know, those guarantees and the bonuses pushed up from year three to year one or two. And the Seahawks are like, yeah, not not the way we do it, not the structure we do it. So you can keep banging your head. You try to keep tackling me and run through this wall and blitz me, but this is the way the structure is going to be set up. So, no, I think from a, from a risk standpoint, I'm I'm pretty comfortable where Jamal is in his career. Frankly, I'm comfortable where Dwayne is too. You know, I think this is a different era than even those guys, Danny, that you wrote about five years ago, ten years ago, over the course of Pete and John's career. Off-seasons are limited. In-season contact is really limited. Contact overall in the NFL is not what it used to be. And we're seeing offensive tackles play into their late 30s. So I'd be comfortable risk-wise getting Dwayne done, too. I look at that contract, too, with Brown, and I, I compare it to Andrew Whitworth. If we're taking a look at the number one and number two pass block win rate tackles in the NFL, Whitworth was number one and Brown was number two, and Whitworth's 39, and he's in the midst of a three-year, $30 million deal. There's no guaranteed money the next couple of seasons, so they can get themselves out of it, L.A., but he's going to turn 40 this year, Whitworth, and it doesn't seem like his play is slipping. So I, I feel like $10 million a year for a left tackle like that, that maybe you get at a discount because of his age, that's that's... I think really good situation for Seattle actually to have potentially well, on their hands, all things considered. Yeah, yeah and that's where Dwayne's number is this year, right? right. He's set to make ten million bucks. What we don't know, and it's been pretty, you know, documented that, that you know the guys at the Times with the numbers with Jamal, you know, how realistic are those? You know, trying to listen as those reporters are to both sides of it. You know, what we don't know what Dwayne's asking for. Is Dwayne asking for an Andrew Whitworth extension? Is he asking for, you know, $10 million a year? Or is he looking at the cap explosion of the next couple of years and saying, hey, man, I'm one of the three best left tackles in the game. You know, don't don't pin me at that number of Andrew Whitworth, who's a little bit older than me and more beat up than me. You know, that that's the one piece of the puzzle that I've not caught wind yet. And based on, you know, where the two sides are standing, it feels like those two are really far apart for an extension number. Question number three. Rock, Kevin Clark did an interview with Patrick Mahomes for uh, The Ringer, and it was an interesting piece. You know, we look back at the Super Bowl, and I think a lot of people would point to Kansas City's offensive line, the lack of protection that they gave to Patrick Mahomes and the big changes that they made this offseason, and they would think, yeah, it was the offensive line that lost in that game. But Patrick Mahomes has had a pretty interesting perspective on that game since watching it back, and he found, watching it back, Sometimes when I get hit early, I don't trust staying in the pocket and going through my reads. I kind of get back to that backyard style football a little bit too much. And you could definitely see that in the Super Bowl. There were times where the pockets were clean and I was still scrambling. What's the common experience for all quarterbacks facing pressure? Because I know some guys have the ability like Mahomes, like Russell Wilson to escape pressure like that. But it does seem as if that is something that can get you to just completely forget all of the things that you were supposed to do. <laughs> Mahomes clearly yeah. feels like that was the case in the Super Bowl. Well, you're going to talk to Jerry Depoto here in just a little bit, and you know he's a former 
big league pitcher and reliever in particular, and, and to me that's where the most parallel is in, to the game of baseball and to pitchers who get sped up. I think that's the best way that, you know, as an analyst, when I'm watching games and I'm calling games, like, yep, yep, this quarterback has gotten sped up, you know, whether it is through actual contact, whether it's through the blitz. Heck, even Tom Brady, when they were 18 and 0, 19 or whatever they were in the Super Bowl, and that old NASCAR package came speeding at him, uh, his clock got sped up. So QBs want to play in rhythm. There's a, there's a tempo and a timing to, to what you do in pass routes and, and every, you know, in the way that, that you want to play, and there's, you know, everything is timed up together. You start to speed that up. You start to hit them. You start to move them. You start to get them out of that rhythm. And even the GOAT, uh, who I got to see on Sunday night, even the GOAT in his prime, you know, with the Patriots and the Giants, got his clock sped up, and he didn't have an answer in that Super Bowl. Uh, neither did Mahomes, unfortunately, as he looks back and, and, and watches that tape. And that's, you know, been a big conversation with Russell. And I think a, a really good, probably, segue and conversation into exactly why Pete Carroll hired the guy he hired. To get the ball out of his hands, to keep him in rhythm. You guys, Paul in particular, have watched a ton of practice. You've seen more easy completions fall out of his hand in less than two seconds. So not letting that defense dictate, not letting that blitz and that rush, you know, speed you up. But offensively, you know, holding enough cards in your hands that you can control the timing and the tempo. I feel like this is a double-edged sword because on the one hand, that idea of trusting protection more and learning to do that. And you probably, Brock, you've probably got a better perspective on anyone than anyone <laughs> on, on what can happen. Yep. Like seriously, like your senior year at the University yep. of Washington, it, 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 it can impact a quarterback. And it's not, it's not the quarterback's fault. The the other part of it is that you have such an upside with Russ's scrambling. I I'll be very interested, Correct. and I I do think there's going to be a learning curve here of of Russ trying to fit into and understand what he gets from from this new offense. I've been encouraged. Peter King was out there and he said he sees more from Russ uh, acting like a coach, pointing receivers where to be. That's the next step of his career is to kind of be the guy that it's not just his legs, but he uses his big quarterback brain, as Alex Gibbs would say, to outthink the defense. Yes, and you know, though, uh, to your point, exactly where this is going if there's not a lot of production, uh, if there's not a lot of points. You know, if it looks like that mock game, and wow, that was awesome. You moved the ball up and down the field, but you settled for four field goals, right? And, and where is the explosive plays? Where's, you know, where's yeah. that Pete Carroll who's, you know, said on the record, I don't love dinking and dunking the ball around, <laughs> right? I like to not... run it and take my shots, and, and that is in his background. So, you know, and I know this is all great. This is wonderful training camp fodder. It'll be fun. You know, to dig into this weekend, game number one against the Raiders, and then we'll get to see it in two others. But you know and I know if, if points aren't being scored, and more importantly, if explosive plays are not coming, you know where the conversation is going to go, and that is, man, why doesn't Russell use his legs? Why doesn't he do what he used to do? Why doesn't he make all of those plays? Russell's unique. You're taking away his greatest skill set, which is his ability to improv and his ability to make those big plays. So, uh, yeah, this won't be a conversation that dissipates over the course of the season. Brock, we always love talking to you. Get back out on those white water rapids. Keep the kids safe. <laughs> Helmet up. Have a, have a good day and stay afloat. We will, and I can't wait to talk to you on Monday after watching these Seahawks this weekend. And gosh, it's going to be fun to actually see uh, see this whole new system against somebody else. And so much to, to dig into and talk about. And and by the way, tell Jerry thankful for the the good win last night. Uh, it was just time to get back on the on the one run winning side of things. So nice to see the ends get a win too. 
He is Brock Heward. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you on Monday. Hey, uh, Brock is with, with us on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Uh, Michael Bumpus will be with us for Blue 42 tomorrow.